When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Unsackable podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Fied, and this is our first ever show. And for our first ever show, I am joined by Josh Deming. Josh, how is it going? And why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? I'm doing pretty well, Manuel. Excited to uh, to finally get on the podcast side of things. Uh, my name is Josh Deming from JGD TV. Primarily cover Borussia Dortmund and Bundesliga stuff in the Canadian men's national team. But uh, excited to have a nice group of guys here and excited to get going with our podcast. Yeah, and I'm very excited as well. And we have a pretty big group of guys here, um, like some really interesting people, including Filippo Silva. Filippo, how's it going? And um, why don't you tell the audience what you do? Hey, Manuel, how you doing, man? Thank you again um, for the intro. I was hoping for you to overhype me a little bit in the introduction, but I'll take the way I'll take you what I can get. So I'm Filippo Silva from Tactical Manager TV. I am Brazilian American. I mostly cover U.S. men's national team, MLS. And from time to time, Premier League, some Brazilian league as well. But pretty much that's it. I'm also I also coach with soccer, and I call it soccer. Yeah, that's all I have to yeah. say for now. I know this next person is definitely not going to call it soccer, and uh, very pleased to have to round this up. Uh, Adrian Zosa with us from Rabona TV. Adrian, how's it going? I'm doing very well, uh, Manuel. I almost called you football because I do call it football, but you are Manuel. Um, but yeah, I am Adrian from Rabona TV. I have a YouTube channel um, that basically covers everything European football. I'm a bad North American, really. I, I don't cover it enough. So I'm looking forward to this podcast where it's not just going to be Europe. It's going to be North America, maybe a little South America as well, as, if Filippo wants to get in on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is just the point. The, the, the three of us. Three people, four people coming together from North America. Uh, Adrian and I are actually with background on Vancouver Island, believe it or not. Um, small little place with, <laughs> with two soccer people or football people. Yeah, we're going to cover everything pretty much on this show. I think all of us have our niche topics elsewhere and we just want to get together and do something more general about football, soccer or whatever you call it. And yeah, I'm really excited to do this show. And, you know, those people who don't know me, I'm I'm the area manager for North America on Transfermarkt. I, I write for Forbes on the Bundesliga and I have a podcast called Gegenpressing as well um, on German football. But this is not going to be just about German football. We're probably going to mention German football, but football world. We're going to cover everything. And guys, because this is called the Unsackable Podcast, we have to talk about the man who's absolutely unsackable at the moment. And that's our first topic today. And that is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. Guys, and I'm going to go to you first here, Filippo, because I know you are a Manchester United fan. <sighs> that game against Atalanta, I mean, it was 2-0 for Atalanta. Was that the point where you thought, 
thank God he might be finally gone. What's your thoughts about everything that's going on at United at the moment? Man, <laughs> so th this is actually quite interesting. Yes, there was a point where I thought maybe he would finally be gone. And I had seen this with the U.S. men's national team as well. And I thought Berhalter was going to be gone against Honduras, but that's a different topic. But at the same time, I do think he does have the backing of management and the ownership. I don't think Ole will go anywhere. A few scenarios I could see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer going would be probably next semester if we're still struggling in the Premier League of holding a Champions League spot, if we're out of the Champions League. But right now, he continues to get bailed out by talent, right? That's what's happening with Manchester United. You watch Manchester United, and you don't really know what is the style of play of this team. And Ole has been around for what? This is his third season, if I'm not mistaken, right now. And you don't have a set tactics. You don't have set style of play. It continues to be the same mess. And he continues to get bailed out by town. And that's essentially what happened against Atalanta, along with David De Gea making some nice saves in the second half. I thought he was out, but we're staying with Oli. Oli is still in. Adrian, Filippo mentions the talent. And I, I had some thoughts about Manchester United buying Cristiano Ronaldo, I thought it was one of those very typical Premier League decisions where economically, economically and commercially, it makes a lot of sense because Ronaldo is going to give you those deals and, you know, those 20 million plus bonuses, they're going to pay themselves back. Not in shirt sales because shirt sales never pay for a transfer fee, but in commercial deals. He did score. He did bail out Manchester United. But, you, you know, with your Portuguese background, you know Ronaldo quite well. He hasn't really, even though he scored lots of goals for Juventus, he was not the player he was many years ago. What are your thoughts on him being there? And is he the right player for that system? I think under the right manager, he could be the right player. Um, but for this system, you say system with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the same sentence, and I, it makes me almost laugh in a moment because I don't really know what it is. And I think Filippo sort of alluded to that as well, as I don't know exactly what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is trying to do, and I don't know that he knows what he's trying to do in this moment. But I think that Ronaldo could work, as I was saying, under the right manager. Um, now, the two examples that I have to look to are this current one at United and then of course with Portugal and the same sort of thing sort of comes up from the fans in that there's a bit of agitation sometimes in that you know you can't really play a pressing game with a guy like Cristiano Ronaldo in your team yes against Atalanta it was required of him to provide that sort of energy because it had gotten to that dire point in the game where we did see Ronaldo making those recovery runs a little bit but that's that's not really what, he's, what you want to see from him. You want him being on the end of crosses. You want him in the box finishing off chances. So I I thought that it was a bit of an interesting one in that he was returning to United. He was returning to Old Trafford where he had all those good memories. He comes back as the returning hero. Um, but under this manager, does this guy have the right sort of tactical uh, adaptability in order to be able to make it work. And so far, I don't think that it has because all of these results lately have just been United scraping by one little bit of individual brilliance or getting smacked 4-2 by a guy like Brendan Rodgers at Leicester who aren't even having the greatest of starts yet. They're showing signs of improving, but they haven't had the greatest of starts yet. What are your thoughts on that, Filippo? Yeah, I, I like Adrian said, everything he said, I agree with. And I want to add to that as well. He mentioned about you. You actually asked Adrian about the Cristiano Ronaldo transfer being a very premier like premier league like transfer. Right. And if you look at Manchester United's recent transfer history, 
It's been over ever since Sir Alex left throughout the entire decade, not just with Oli, even before, they've all been transfers in that sense. And most recently, we even have the example of Donny Vandebeek, right? Great player, could have been used, not being used at all. It, he's all. It's almost as if he's useless. And there has been many weird transfers with Manchester United from a soccer standpoint, right? Marketing, that's a different story. We can talk about that. Signing Cristiano Ronaldo, even when he's 50, it's still going to be great from a marketing standpoint. But in regards to soccer or, or a footballing standpoint, I don't think Manchester United has done a good job with that as well. So it's not all on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, obviously, even though he probably has a say on the transfers. But yeah, he also doesn't know. We don't really have a system in Manchester United. It's just, it's just vibes at this point. Just put the players in vibes. Yeah, I'm, Adrian, I think you want to add something to it. Uh, so jump to you real quick. And then I have, I want to ask Josh one specific thing as well to bring him in. Yeah, just quickly sort of going off of what Filippo was saying there is, well, yes, they, there might not be, you know, there might not be a, a very cohesive approach to their transfers at the moment. At the same time, when you look at it, bringing in Jaden Sancho, Cristiano Ronaldo, Rafael Varane, these are quality players for sure. And then you look at the previous transfers that they've brought in, such as Harry Maguire, et cetera. There has been plenty of money spent. And it's just a question now of, do you have the right guy organizing it? And I don't know that, you know, if if he wasn't a club legend, if this was some other Norwegian manager who had, you know, won a couple of titles in Norway and then came in and got the, the caretaker job for a while, he wouldn't have lasted that long. I mean, Mourinho didn't last this long. Van Hall didn't last this long. So at what point do you say, thank you so much for what you've done to the club? <laughs> to the club as if he's <laughs> hurting them but what you've done for the club both as a player and a manager but it's clear that we have plateaued under you we have moved in the right direction thanks in part to you at what point do you just say let's move on and let's be done with this and bring in someone who can you know maybe as in a Dean Zidane who can employ a 4-3-3 who can use a Danny van de Beek who can use all of these different pieces properly yeah I think I have my personal opinions about Zinedine Zidane and um, I'm not a super deep dive expert into Manchester United. I'm not sure he would be the right coach either. But what I have noticed, and um, this has been something that, you know, both of you guys alluded to, that some of the transfers make sense. Like Jaden Sancho, when they brought him in, I'm like, okay, this is a player who they need. Um, who, with all the things that we've seen from him in Borussia Dortmund, can do quite well. But there's been a very damning piece in The Independent by, written by Miguel Delaney, and a journalist I really respect, about how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has failed to integrate Jadon Sancho at Manchester United, but also how Jadon Sancho, where, you know, when he played for Borussia Dortmund, they were, the, mid, the, the players he was playing with would signal him where his runs should go, what passes he should play. And that's completely lacking structurally at Manchester United. And Josh... You covering Borussia Dortmund and watching Jaden Sancho for all these years, what's your take on what's going on with Jaden right now? I mean, this is not new. Jaden also had a very slow start last year. Yeah, he did have a very slow start last year, and he had an unbelievable season prior to that with putting up the amount of goals and assists he got, and then he came good again. He showed why he is justified for the transfer fee that United brought in then the number one thing and it's it's harsh and it's obvious but it, it has to be Ole uh, I personally think he's there just because he's the type of manager that's not going to ruffle any feathers he's the one that's not going to bother the board they can know what they're kind of going to get and he does just enough not to get sacked 
there's going to be, I mean, we're going to talk about him, I'm assuming, plenty of times on here when he's going to come right to the edge and he'll pull off a win. But when you bring in someone with the quality of Jaden Sancho, the returning to the Premier League after going abroad and finding so much success, you find a way to make him work because he's just, he is that good of a player. You don't sub him on and sub him off and and make him just feel like he's not a part of this team. And, and whatever Ole's done to try to make him fit has has not worked because he doesn't look comfortable uh, I saw at least a little bit glimpse of it when uh, when he played last match, and he, it looked like a little bit of excitement was there. But there's a long way to go to try to get the Jane Sancho that was at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, this is the Unsackable podcast, and I guess Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for now is unsackable. Well, this is our episode one, and I'm joined by Josh Deming, Filippo Silva, and Adrian Sosa. And our next topic, guys, is another coach who may or may not be unsackable, has been sacked a lot in recent years, and... Guys, I have to be honest. I, I did not watch Roma against Bodo Glimp in the Europa Conference League. I, I watched. I covered the two German teams instead. Uh, I saw Mourinho trending on Twitter. I clicked on Mourinho on Twitter, and I saw the result. And uh, I almost fell off my chair laughing. Six ones against Bodo Glimp. Um, Adrian, I don't even know what to, how to start with this. So I'm just going to go to you first because you are a Portuguese guy with probably tons of Mourinho opinions. So Roma losing 6-1 to Bodo Glimt. No disrespect to Norwegian football, but this is not a result that should be happening, right? No, absolutely. I mean, you look at this AS Roma side and yes, it wasn't their first team, but there's no world where even with his second stringers, AS Roma under Jose Mourinho should be going to Norway and losing this badly. And this wasn't just some sort of fluke. This Bodo side was thoroughly deserving of the result that they got. And after the match, of course, we had the the classic Mourinho-isms, we'll call them. You know, either it's the referee had some bad calls going his way, either it's the schedule is not working out for him, or on this occasion, you know, you, you spin the wheel. On this occasion, we got, well their team has a lot more quality than my team. He did make some concessions and saying, yes, this was my my second stringers, if you will, my second team. Um, but it's still, to him, they had far more quality. They are better players than my players, which I think is the big distinction that needs to be made here. He wasn't saying we played poorly. He was saying my players are worse than the other team's players. And for me, you know, it, it just sort of, calls back to all these other times where he's gotten the sack, where he starts to turn against his own players and we start to see him throw him under the bus. And then it just, the, the Mourinho life cycle, if you will, continues and continues. Yeah, it, it's, it, I mean, this has probably gone way faster than I thought in many ways. I, I, I saw his comments online on, on Twitter about, uh, the the quality of the two teams and um, I work at Transfermarkt someone out there put the club comparison up and the the, the difference in market value and um, <laughs> it's you know even with a second team the, the, there shouldn't have been an issue there um, Filippo one of the players that was on the field it was Brian Reynolds right and he highly touted American talented player Lots of young, talented players actually on that field. To be put in a situation like that by Mourinho and then essentially being thrown under, under the bus following the result, say, it's essentially saying, well, it's not my fault. I put these youth players out and they're not good enough, even though, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, considering how much money Roma paid for these guys and the, the results and like 
talent level that they have displayed playing in previous clubs, they really should be talented enough. How, how bad is this for Roma when you consider all of this, what's going on and what kind of implication does this have for Brian Reynolds? So, yeah, I'll go by parts with this. First, it's, it's a lot to do with what Adrian said, right? He doesn't want to take accountability for anything. It's always the player's fault, which to a degree, it always is a little bit of the players, a little bit of the coach, but it shouldn't have been 6-1. To be fair, I didn't even know the other team existed until they faced Roma. In regards to Brian Reynolds, he comes from the FC Dallas Academy. That's been the most successful academy in the United States. Players like Weston McKinney, Chris Richards, that is Hoffenheim right now, all came from that academy. And it's not good for a young player, right? Your confidence goes down. It's being shattered. How is it helping Brian Reynolds' development to barely play in Roma? And when you play, you're the scapegoat of everything, right? So Jose Mourinho blames all the players. And Brian Reynolds, by the fans mostly, is the one that gets the blame the most. It could be something to do with him being American as well. But can I touch upon the topic real quick, Manuel, about Jose Mourinho? Because to understand Mourinho, we got to go back to the beginning, right? He built his career mostly off that successful Porto team in 2003, if I'm not mistaken, or four. After that, he went to Chelsea. And to be fair, I thought it was a pretty successful era for Chelsea. They won the Premier League or the English League, right? After 50 or 60 years, whatever it was, it's been a while. Then he goes to Inter Milan, wins the Champions League again after he won it with Porto. But what has Mourinho done after that that was so good? Has anyone thought about that too? He hasn't been very good. And he's been blaming players for a decade at this point. We saw that against Tottenham until he gets fired. So I wonder how much he has the locker room with him. I wonder how, well, in regards to development players, he's been terrible. So is Mourinho still good? Was he ever good? What is going on? Did he get outdated? That's the questions I have in regards to it that I like to hear. Because we do have coaches in Brazil, for example, like Vanderlei Luxemburgo, that was successful in the 90s, 2000s, and now he's terrible. He's terrible. So I don't know what's going on in regards to, to José Mourinho currently. But yeah, he was successful in Porto, Chelsea, and then Inter Milan. After that, I haven't really seen anything. What do you think, Adrian? I think that um, his time at Real Madrid is discounted a little bit too much at times because he was up against prime Pep Guardiola and FC Barcelona, one of the best club teams um, to play in a while. I would say that 2011 Barcelona team was incredible. Um, but since then, I yeah, I would I would agree with you, Filippo. I think that we all sort of get stuck on this ride with José Mourinho. Of course, again, as Manuel said, I have Portuguese background, so I follow him with a keen interest and I want him to be able to do, succeed. But I feel like I'm constantly fooled because this life cycle is this. He signs with a new team. Things go great for a while. Results start to turn sour. And then he begins to turn on the players. He begins to turn on the media. He begins to sort of, you know, put in all of these different excuses. And it's never, ever his tactics. He never mentions his tactics as being an issue. It's always other people or other things that are affecting his own team's performance. Yeah, I would actually go along with that. And I think, Filippo, you probably have a final point about Mourinho. Uh, I know you're eager to, to jump in here and, and make, to say something. So go ahead. Yeah, I also, this is something I wanted to ask Adrian, actually. I want to pick his opinion on it because the past few years, I would say, along with following Jose Mourinho, because I was following the Premier League a lot more back when he arrived. But what I wanted to do with um, Adrian was ask him about if this is a trend a lot with Portuguese coaches 
uh, of being stubborn and sometimes blaming the players. And I'm asking this out of ignorance because Abel Ferreira, we've seen it. We've seen even Jorge Jesus do it a little bit on. But go ahead, Adrian. Uh, I mean, yeah, Portuguese coaches definitely have this uh, this reputation of being very, very fiery, to say the least. Like you look at a Sergio Conceição from FC Porto. I'm sure you guys have seen some entertaining quotes from him over the past with his Champions League exploits. But yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know about blaming the players. I haven't actually followed Abel Ferreira too closely since he's gone to South America. But there's definitely. Definitely a trend of Portuguese coaches such as Jorge Jesus, who, you know, love him or hate him. He's absolutely entertaining. And you can say that for all of these coaches, really. And we'll soon have another one at Newcastle, it's looking like, in uh, Paulo Fonseca. I'm glad you bring up Paulo Fonseca. Before we move on to the next topic, I think I, I personally, you know, I used to I spend some time in Ukraine um, whenever I was doing my PhD there. And um you know, overlap with him working at Shakhtar Donetsk. Excellent coach. Um, I think with Newcastle are able to land him. They're very lucky because he plays fantastic football. But he's not on our list of topics today. Probably, I mean, I guess if he does sign, we'll probably all have to talk about him very soon and everything that he's achieved up to this point. Thanks, Manuel. Before we get to that, let's take a look at a different kind of football. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, it's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code THPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back to you, Manuel. But guys, we have to move on. Um, we have to move on and bring Josh into this conversation. Probably not something that Josh is actually going to enjoy. I'm sorry, buddy. But we have to talk about Borussia Dortmund and um, their highest defeat in the Champions League, uh, away defeat in the Champions League against Ajax. Uh, I watched this game with some interest. I love, I love Ajax. I have, a, I have a very close connection to that city as well because it's another place that I lived in. And I, I thought they were absolutely brilliant. But Josh, did Dortmund play this game with a midfield? Because I didn't see one. What, what was your thoughts on this game? Yeah, excited to be back in, in, in the conversation and then talking about this. But um, take, I don't know, taking a look at it, it, it's a result that was not only shocking on the eyes. If you were, if you didn't watch the match, you came in, you saw that it was four nothing. You're like, holy, what what happened? But the play of of Dortmund was dreadful. I I don't even know how to break it down properly to give anyone an idea of how poorly they played. Ajax, to their credit, played incredible. Their total football, they absolutely lived up to that. They were breathtaking, and they deserved every single bit of success in that match. Dortmund, on the other hand, didn't, and they their their midfield was a big one that I didn't think was there. I also honestly thought a few few of the goals just came from mental lapses. I think Chan and Hummels had a couple pretty poor 
four games in there. And uh, and I think Marco Rosa really needs to take a look at this squad and figure out a proper system because he's been kind of going back and forth from moving our uh, 4-3-2-1 at the end of the last season where we had so much success to a 4-1-2-1-2, which didn't work. Now he's trying a 4-3-3, but Royce can play wherever he wants. It's it's no structure. The midfield is is wide open. There's holes everywhere. And, and honestly, they just weren't up for the task that match. Yeah, I, I mean, I watched watched this game obviously very closely, um, and I I saw things that I've seen for some time now at Borussia Dortmund, but also of course um, at at Rose's time doing Gladbach or Borussia Mönchengladbach, and um, I, I feel that in a lot of ways the current system is set up to it almost looks a little bit like kick and rush for the lack of better better terminology, because it's a lot of it is to punt the ball forward to Erling Haaland, have him drop the ball off to one of the two attacking midfielders that are playing the the, the, the secondary striker roles in a 4-3-3 or, you know, a secondary striker role in a 4-2-2-2, as you described it. And um, then essentially rush forward and have Haaland available again to put the ball in the net or muscle the ball in the net as he often does and he had a couple of chances where he did that right where literally ix defenders were bouncing off him but the, the problem is like and this is how i saw it, josh is that when, when you play against ajax and this is a team that is so very well drilled in so many ways that if you give them the midfield you might as well give them the game because they took total control over the game and you add the lack of goal scoring opportunities and the lack of control in midfield. And you brought it up already. Emre Shan comes on in the second half. Um, he essentially assists Anthony for the first, for the first, for Anthony's first goal or the third of the match. And then Haller's fourth. Um, he, he doesn't do much either. Um, is this just, in your opinion, a lack of opposition in this game? in terms of no control in midfield, but also just the fact that they more or less surrendered in the second half. I think you made a good good point there in, in touching on that is like when you're and even when you mentioned Holland I mean punting the ball upfield, which is which is not a game plan. I mean it's it's not a game plan that you should ever do. I think honestly Ajax came out and scared the crap out of Dortmund and they didn't really know what to do. And it came to a point where pitcher a very uncoached younger team and if something's not working, what do you do? punt the ball up forward to your to your only player and when Holland got the ball and created those three chances no one else was was around they, they were punting the ball up to Holland and Royce was not involved Mullen was not involved he created those opportunities all by himself he didn't take any of those three opportunities but that was the only glimmer of opportunity for Dortmund and that is not the way you want to play football and yeah I mean Ajax came out with a game plan and when they basically took over possession and Dortmund couldn't do anything with it couldn't connect through the midfield, it was just turned right over and and Ajax completely dominated. Dortmund had absolutely no answer for it. This, the two goals at the end really bugged me personally, seeing uh, how easy it was for Anthony just to move that ball onto the left. Just atrocious defending from Emery Chan. And then Haller's goal, the, the lightest jump in the air with no pressure on him and just guiding that past Gregor Kobel, who, by the way, was the only the only glimmer of reason why that wasn't an eight nothing loss because uh, Ajax had a ton of chances. Four nothing was was I thought pretty kind on Dortmund. Yeah, it was too. And then I mean, I, I voiced that opinion on Twitter. I, I like Marco Rose. I think he's a good coach. 
Um, I, I think it's, we're going to talk about Adeyemi in a moment, right? And Salzburg, you, you wonder almost like when you look at some of the transfer activities that Dortmund are rumored with, that they're already kind of moving towards um, a system where they're going to look a little bit more like Gladbach, where they didn't really have a natural number nine, but essentially three attacking players that could bounce the ball off each other. And that system worked in the first season for Marco Rose quite well. But I and this is the unsackable podcast, right? We have to talk about coaches being sacked or not. And um, I remember when Favre got sacked and Tezic came on and had a very good run with this club and might have actually now in retrospect been the better option for Borussia Dortmund. But, you know, I almost wondered as well, and I'm curious about your opinion here, Josh. Maybe the guy in the other dugout at the game yesterday, uh, sorry, yesterday, yeah, Wednesday, uh, time we record this, Friday, of course, maybe the guy in the other dugout, Eric Ten Hag, would have been the more logical choice for Borussia Dortmund. What's your thoughts on that? And it, it's a very touchy situation because when Favre went, which I, I did think was the right decision, and, and Dortmund sometimes have, have that... That, tr- that trigger where they they're just they came to their wits end with Favre and they made that decision, but they they then went in and brought in and Terzic and I don't think they quite gave him enough time, which I mean in, in retrospect is is obvious considering what he accomplished. And they went pretty early to find their next target, which they have a a history of taking players and and, and whatnot from from Dor- or from Gladbach. So why not grab a manager? And I just think the decision was a little rushed. I have nothing against Marco Rosa and the. Big names that were going around at the time was Jesse March. Ten Hag was in there a little bit, but it really looked like it was going to be Marsh or Rosa. And I would have chosen Marco Rosa over Jesse Marsh, but I, I agree. I would love to see Ten Hag make the, make the jump to the Bundesliga. I don't know if Dortmund now would be a potential option down the line, but I think that he just played such a beautiful brand of football that I think would have really suited this Dortmund side. And the one thing I was scared when Marco Rosa came to Dortmund was, will he tamper with what worked at the end of last season because there was no reason why Dortmund should have made the Champions League and and Teresic created just such a such a unit um, with that 4-3-2-1 very interesting system and he completely blew it up and like I said tried it which is fine but put in his system but it just it didn't stick and now honestly they look a little lost so I guess in retrospect yes but uh, I do think that the board is going to give Marco Rosa a lot of time to try to figure this out yeah I I think so too I mean the We talked a lot about coaches today, I guess, which is fitting to the name. But, Filippo, I have one question for you. A young man that did start out, Anthony, uh, for Ajax. How do you see his development? I mean, this this is a kid who could have gone to any club, right, when he joined Ajax and chose Ajax. And um, the Netherlands in particular have been a very good pipeline for Brazilian talent. Where do you see him projecting in the future? So, Anthony came up at São Paulo, Brazil, pretty good academy that developed Casemiro, per se, and Kaká back in the days. And when he came out in, in Brazil, personally, I didn't rate him very highly in Brazil. He was very much what we call sometimes a peladeiro, right? A guy that does a lot of fancy tricks, highly technical, but not very direct or objective in the play. But seeing him in Ajax, his game is changing, right? He's becoming... I would almost call like a more serious player, bringing more verticality, right? Going towards the goal much more than he used to. And I think it's doing wonders for him. So the skill-wise, technique-wise, I don't think he's improved much since he left Sao Paulo because he was already this skilled as we're seeing, especially on the ball control, dribbling ability, beating the defenders on -on one-on-one. 
but it seems like his his mind, right, his mentality has changed, and he's a much more mature player. And he could honestly fight for a spot in the Brazilian national team. Tactically, he fits what the Brazil national team needs. As we do have Neymar as an inverted winger on the left flank, we need him on the right flank as he's a very gifted lefty. Now, Antony's probably set to make a big move. And, and again, he's better than Davi Neres. And many people, I think, are noticing this by now. And Davi Neres is even benched, obviously. I think, uh, Anthony, we're probably going to see him make a big move next summer. Especially if Ajax makes a deep run in the Champions League, which they very much can. Yeah, absolutely. I think Ajax um, you know, con took control of this group and once again looked poised to make a deep run in the Champions League. Definitely one of those teams from smaller leagues, showing the teams from smaller leagues can make a difference. Well, guys, this is the Unsuckable Podcast. Joined by Josh Deming, Filippo Silva and Adrian Sosa. Um, guys, another team that could make a deep run and it has done so fantastically well in developing players, including Erling Haaland for Borussia Dortmund, is um, Red Bull Salzburg, or FC Salzburg, as they call it in the Champions League, because of sponsorship reasons. And fantastic result against Wolfsburg. You know, first Austrian side to beat a German Bundesliga side in, in the Champions League. And one of the players who made a huge difference in this game was a German, Karim Adeyemi, who also is the first German national team player to To play for Germany um, while also playing for an Austrian club since World War II. Um, so, you know, Karim Adeyemi writing history over and over again. He's probably one of the hottest prospects in European football. And we'll, we'll have to talk about him and his development in general. But, you know, I'm really curious and I'm going to, you know, I haven't heard from you in a while, Adrian. So I want to bring you in before we talk about this game in particular. How do you see Salzburg as an outsider and the development that they have been doing with talented players? Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. That's the first thing that I think of when I think of FC Salzburg. And I know that you and I have spoken privately and, and said that they're almost sort of becoming the next sort of Ajax in a similar sort of fashion. And their recruitment, not only at the, the player level, but at the staff level as well. And, you know, I've been following them since Marco Rosa was there, that run that they had in the Europa League a few years ago. Um, and it's just, it's every single season, every single year, every single month at this point is starting to feel like now it's just compounding. There's a new talent coming up. You know, the last one that I was really following closely was, of course, Pat Sindaka. And we all saw what he did for Leicester, turning that game on its head against Spartak in the Europa League midweek. So, yeah, I mean, Salzburg is really putting themselves on the map and they were always sort of there or thereabouts. They had those fun games against Liverpool. Um, and Napoli, I believe it was last season in the Champions League, but they were they were sort of condemned to a very difficult, difficult group on the last couple of iterations of the Champions League. So now we're seeing them in in a group that I think at the very beginning of it, looking in, it looked like you could just flip a coin as to anyone could go through. And now we're actually seeing when they're up against teams that, you know, they're sort of given a chance against, not against the ultimate titans in European football, if you will. They're competitive. They're extremely well organized and they have a great coach in Yaisel who will not be getting sacked anytime soon, I don't think. No, absolutely not. And uh, speaking of coaches, Filippo Salzburg is also a club that has given Americans quite a big platform. Jesse Marsh, of course, has since moved on. Brandon Aronson at the club. And I think personally think So a little, maybe it's also fortunate because he is in Karim Adeyemi's shadow. And don't worry, we're going to talk about Adeyemi in a second. But he is in Adeyemi's shadow and is actually kind of able to, to develop there. Kevin Paredes from DC United might be next going to Salzburg. I mean, this is becoming a stepping stone club also for American talent. How do you see them? 
Yeah, uh, I, I think Adrian said something I never thought about. They are becoming Ajax-like vibes, right? They dominate their league, definitely the best team in their league, and they're becoming a stepping stone, like you said, for many Americans. Brendan Arison's development the past six months have been better than his two MLS seasons. It's crazy how much the kid has improved under RB Salzburg's development system. They also were the team that gave Jesse Marsh an opportunity abroad after he was successful with the New York Red Bulls. Obviously, he's struggling with Leipzig right now. We can talk about that another day. But uh, the way I see it is they're becoming they're, – it's what Adrian said, essentially. They're becoming the IX of Europe, right? And I'm thankful to them for what he did to Brendan Harrison. And I know you followed them closely, too, as well. They also have a center back named Brian Oko, which if you can talk about him a little bit. Very interesting center back, Swiss-American, very talented it's not just their recruitment, it's also their academy. And they're becoming also a stepping stone for for also their, their small. So they're becoming, the way I want to put it out is the Red Bull system has many different branches, right? They have a Red Bull in Brazil, MLS. They're kind of like in between, right? They're not a powerhouse like Leipzig is trying to become. They're like the stepping stone in between. So the players in New York Red Bulls, instead of jumping right to Leipzig, you go to Salzburg, adapt to Europe, develop, like Brendan Harrison, for example. So... In the U.S., they rate them very highly. They're very happy with what they've been doing with our players. And hopefully Kevin Paredes can head there very soon. Very talented player from D.C. United. Yeah, I mean, um, Salzburg, again, like Bayern Munich, is a club that I go I go to in person quite a lot and spend a lot of time in. And what always strikes me, and I find this is the most remarkable thing about them, and they do this even better than Leipzig, any player there can play almost any position. That is, I think is so remarkable you they, they are able to whenever they lose a big star let it be Haaland let it be Dhaka uh, Navy Cater before that right who also came from there um, they are able to go into this system and find someone who can fulfill that role and two other roles as well and I think this is the reason why they, they were so excited about Brandon Aronson because he can play multiple roles and if and they teach him to play these multiple roles they make a player complete and, um, you know, this This is, I, I personally think that this is something that they do better than anyone else. So um, it is a remarkable setup. And yeah, you're quite right. I mean, they, they have that, that system of levering where Oko is coming from and you just know that he's going to be a good player, right? Because anyone there is going to be a good player eventually. So I, I know, Adrian, you, you want to jump in here and have something to ask. So I'll give you the floor for a second. Yeah, I actually want to throw it right back to you, Manuel, as our uh, as our expert here of the Bundesliga and the Austrian Bundesliga as well. So do you think that there's any world, because you're looking at the trajectories of RB Leipzig and Salzburg currently, and am I just being completely reactionary in saying that there could be a world where Salzburg makes it further in the Champions League than Leipzig does with the sort of the transition that they're making under Jesse Marsh? Yeah, I mean, that's happening this year, right? I'm pretty sure Salzburg will make it out of the group and Leipzig won't. And um, that's not the plan. I think one of the reasons why Red Bull went to Leipzig is because they thought with a Bundesliga team, their chances of winning the Champions League, and make no mistake, some people might be listening to this podcast and laugh, but Red Bull want to want one of their clubs to win the Champions League. And I don't think Salzburg are going to win the Champions League. And I think Leipzig, I mean, Leipzig been in the semifinals of the Champions League before, and that is ultimately the final destination of that project, right? To become the next Bayern Munich in Germany and to to win the Champions League. But I think Salzburg right now are on a better trajectory. They have they're in a better place. They don't I don't want to say they have the better team, but they're in a better place because their transition seemed to have been easier. 
And we can probably do an entire show on just why that is um, further down the line when we talk about Jesse Marsh. But it's an interesting point. And I do think that right now they're in a, they, you know, they find themselves in the development stages better. And I mean, I want to bring Josh in here. Um, that game against Wolfsburg, they were absolutely brilliant, weren't they? They were, um, which honestly raises questions from, from, from my side. And I said this just kind of analyzing Wolfsburg to the start of the year because they brought in, a, and again, we're going back to the, the, the unsackables, but they brought in Mark Mbamo, who's, who's a manager who, to me, really raised some question marks. And when I see what Wolfsburg did over in terms of transfers, I, I was really impressed. I mean, they brought in the, Me- the Mecca brothers, they brought in Luca Bacchio, they, they strengthened the, the back line, the midfield. They, in my eyes, would probably have the best transfer window out of the Bundesliga clubs. But for me, the one big question mark was the manager. And after watching the performance in, in Salzburg, rightfully so, being the better team, it, it makes me kind of put it back on, on the manager. I think that, that Mark McBallum got it wrong. Uh, I don't think he's using Luca Bacchio personally uh, to his best effect. And Salzburg, in my eyes, were deserved winners and show why they're one of the hottest young clubs that there, there is out there. I was so confused when they signed Van Bommel because I know Jörg Schmatke. And Jörg Schmatke has usually done a very good job identifying coaches, even coaches who he does not get along with on a personal level, like it was the case of Oliver Glasner, right? And Bruno Labbadia before that. But they still, he still managed to find coaches that would get the right results. And Filippo, I know you have opinions about Mark von Bommel, so I'm going to come to you in a second. But I feel like maybe this time he chose a coach who he gets along with personally and it's going to backfire. What do you think about von Bommel, Filippo? So it wasn't, I think it was Adrian that had more opinions on him. I've been following Wolfsburg mostly because of uh, young Americans they brought in, like Yuli Yanez and Kobe Hernandez Foster and John Brooks. But what I find interesting about Wolfsburg, and I wanted you guys pick your brain on this, because Wolfsburg came off a very strong season last year, right? And they come into this season, and they were good in the beginning. They were good in the first, I would say, three weeks or so, almost a month in. They were fine. But the team just seems lost right now. And I wanted to hear from you. What do you guys think is going on? Is it poor form? Is it poor management? Remember, they made that mistake with the substitution in the first round of the German Cup. And that already got me thinking, like, this is not a good start. It's a it's a very good question. I mean, I again, like, maybe I need, I need a bigger sample size. Uh, maybe I'm blinded by the success that Schmatke had in the past with selecting managers. And um, I guess he maybe he got this one wrong. I'm, I'm with Josh as well. I mean, the transfer window otherwise was excellent. And they they have brought in all the right talents, have set them up very well for when uh, Wood Weghorst, who is going to probably leave the club very soon, especially now because he's been holding out and getting vaccinated and um, got, got COVID now. And right, that's not exactly a very good look. So... Uh, I think they're going to make some some more changes. I mean, Ricardo, like Ricardo Pepe is probably going to come in. So I, I don't know, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, for me, and like Filippo said, I mean, uh, they, they had a great start to the season. But I mean, obviously, a season's 34 games for a reason. The fir- winning the first three games of the season are, are for whatever Wolfsburg did. I mean, it's it's a great start. But then you start to see the cracks coming in. And, and the substitution that got them knocked out of the Pokal was, was a real eye-opener. And it pretty much has went downhill since then and with the the incredible things i think they did bring in personnel wise this team should be in my eyes competing for a top four spot and at honestly right now i would say that a fifth sixth seventh place right now is a little bit more likely than this the can figure a way to get this team 
moving and, and getting back up because they also look to be getting last in the Champions League, which again wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah, go Filippo. Is Mark Van Bommel unsackable? <laughs> I think the next couple of match days will show that. Um, I, I know, Josh, you have probably have no opinion about this, too. Uh, I, I was going to say, no, he's not unsackable. <laughs> but um, I, I do think it's still pretty early. And, and Wolfsburg are in an okay position because this is the group of life in the Champions League. There, there's no reason, to, well, there's some reason, but there is a chance that they could go on and win two of the remaining three games and somehow get through because it's wide, wide open. Uh, and then in the Bundesliga, same as said, they're towards the top of the table. But in my eyes, I see the next few months going in a downward trajectory rather than an upward one. Yeah, you got it. Um, Mark von Bommel might just maybe be sackable. But guys, final one before we have to wrap it up. Karim Adeyemi, um, Wolfsburg were in for him. They are now out. It's essentially just two clubs left. Josh, your club, Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich. I, I did a piece on this yesterday on Forbes. I, I can tell you right now, it's completely wide open. Um, both teams are completely still in it. I think that for Karim Adeyemi, a lot of it will come down to in which role he can play. Of course, at Borussia Dortmund, he, he will probably be a long-term replacement. Not the replacement, but you know his output will be a replacement for what Haaland is going to leave behind. And at Bayern Munich, they're kind of trajectorying him into possibly replace Kingsley Coman, um, which is, would be a very different role than what he plays now. You know, I, I did my piece yesterday for Forbes on how he would fit in at Bayern Munich. So if you want to get my opinion on that, check out that article. But Josh, what do you think about Dortmund? Where would you where would you think he would fit in there? It, it's an interesting one. I mean, if, if I'm looking from the player's perspective at where I'm going to fit in, I mean, yes, he may be a replacement for Kingsley Coleman, but he's also has to battle now with Jamal Musala, who's who's turning into his own. He's still got Ganabri and Sané on the wings. I still think as a young player finding so much success, why not follow the exact same path Erling Holland followed? Go from Salzburg, go to Dortmund, and maybe be Holland's replacement. We don't know what his future has in store, um, but he's also adaptable. I mean, we don't have any wingers whatsoever really right now for Dortmund. So even if Holland does end up staying another season, he can still play a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 and he can play on the wings. And I think he could create a nice little partnership with Holland. But I think the obvious choice if, from the player's perspective, if he wants to get minutes and, and probably find a little bit more success on a personal level rather than just winning trophies at, at Bayern would be to join Dortmund. Well, that's it, guys. You heard it from uh, Josh. He wants, obviously, wants Adeyemi at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, we'll guess we'll find out in January where he is going to go. Um, guys, that's it from the show this week. Fantastic first podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Filippo. Thank you for Adrian. Thank you to Josh. Thanks for joining us. And we'll be back very soon. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs>